Let's pray together as we prepare to hear from the Word of God. Lord, thank you for your Word. Thank you that you are a God who is with us. Thank you that you call us to a faith that is not passive, but that is active. You call us to live with a faith that is at work and that works. So, Lord, now as we open your Word, would you bless us? Holy Spirit, we invite you now to guide us, guide our thoughts, Lord, keep us focused. Help us to see the application for our own lives, that we might respond now in faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're talking about what's next. That's what our whole focus for this year is. And it's not a question, it's a statement. We're not asking what's next. We, we, already, we already know. And it's when we live in light of what's next that we're able to live what, for what's best. God, God is not satisfied to allow us to live for what is bad. We, we would know, even those who don't believe, knowing that living a life that is bad is going to lead to bad consequences. But what we will often do is we will settle for what is good. But our God, our God is too great for that. And our God wants us to live for what is best. And the only time we can live for what is best is when we are living in light of what's next. And so what is next is restoration. We know what is happening, what has happened, and what is going to happen because of what the Word of God says. God's Word, the Bible, tells us what reality is. And here's reality. There was a creation and a fall. There was a rescue and a restoration. God made all things to be in harmony. But because of sin, there's now brokenness all around us. And that's the fall. But God has chosen to rescue us. Jesus Christ has come, and one day He's going to come again. So we're now in between these two parts. We're now living in between these two chapters. And this chapter is being written right now, and this one's about to begin. It's the restoration. It's the time when God's going to make all things new. There will be harmony. There will be peace with God and peace within and peace with everyone forever. No more sickness. No more pain. No more tears. We will be with the Lord forever. The way we are with the Lord and what we what we experience has everything to do with what we do with this temporary life. How we spend eternity is defined by how we live in this very brief life. And it is so crucial that we choose to live a life that is, is in light of what's next. And to help us to do that, to get this year started in light of the rest of our lives and all of eternity, we're, we're in a series called Mapping Out a Smart Start. And, and we're talking about what it is we need to be doing to get going in the right direction, in the right trajectory. And to do that, we are studying verse by verse through the book of Haggai. Now, I wish so badly last week I would have pulled out my phone and taken your picture when I said that we were going to study the book of Haggai, because every one of you are like, Haggai? Who is Haggai? Is that even a book of the Bible, right? And there was just all this confusion, but it is a book of the Bible, and if you would, if you've got your Bible, and I'm hoping that you do, go ahead and take it out and turn with me to Haggai. It's perfectly fine to use the table of contents. What I typically do is I go to Matthew and I hang a left. You'll hit Zechariah, you'll hit Malachi, then Zechariah, and then you'll come to Haggai. Uh, to, to understand Haggai, you've got to understand what's going on in the world of Haggai at that time. There were three big things that were happening. One, Daniel was praying. Two, prophecies were being fulfilled. And three, Cyrus was making a decree. Daniel was praying according to the Word of God. So we read in Daniel chapter 9, And I, Daniel, perceived in the book of the number of years that according to the Word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of the desolation of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. So Daniel is studying the book of Jeremiah. And again, Jeremiah is only about 25 years older than Daniel, and yet God's people knew it was the Word of God, that this wasn't the Word of man, it was the Word of God. So he's reading the Word of God, and so he begins to pray. 
Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking Him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. Now, isn't it fascinating that, that Daniel didn't say, oh, that's what God's going to do. Oh, good, I'm glad He's going to do it. I think I'll just go, you know, I think I'll go watch the ball game and, uh, and get some Twizzlers and chill out for a little bit, right? That's not what he did. In light of what God was going to do next, he had faith, and he began to join God in what he was doing, specifically in praying. He began to pray, and he was praying in light of the Word of God. He wasn't just praying for whatever. He was praying according to the Word of God. And so we got Daniel praying, and we got prophecies being fulfilled. The first one we know, Jeremiah 29, which is where Daniel's prayer came from. Jeremiah 29, 10 says, For thus says the Lord, When seventy years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you, and I will fulfill to you my promise, and bring you back to this place. And so this is one of the prophecies that's being fulfilled. The one that really gets my attention is Isaiah 42. 28. It says, Who says of Cyrus? Why does this get my attention more than the other? Jeremiah was written 25 years before Cyrus made the decree. Isaiah was written 150 years before Cyrus made the decree. And yet, the prophet Isaiah, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, names Cyrus by name. And says, Who says of Cyrus, He is my shepherd, and he shall fulfill all my purpose. Saying of Jerusalem, She shall be built, and of the temple, your foundations shall be laid. I love uh, the fact that we've got this in Jewish antiquities, written by Jerome, uh, by Josephus, rather, records a story in which Cyrus, reading Isaiah's prophecy, again, made 150 years before, was so impressed with the divine power to tell the future that he eagerly sought to fulfill what was written about him. So here, this pagan is seeing the word of God, and the word of God is revealing that God has a plan, and it names him by name. So what does Cyrus do? Well, it says in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put in writing this. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. This pagan king was called by God to do God's will. Our God is so sovereign, he can use and does use anything and everything for his glory. He has a will that will be done. And so Cyrus, excited and fired up that his name's in the Bible, he, he allows uh, God's people to go back. So he sends out this decree. What's interesting is that there were tens of thousands who did not return to Jerusalem. There were people who said, you know what, I'm comfortable in exile. I really don't care anything about going and being a part of what God is doing in the world. I want to do my own thing. And there are millions of people, maybe some of you sitting here today, who are saying the same thing to God. God, I'm comfortable being in exile from you. I'm comfortable living my own life apart from you. I don't really care to be a part of your plan. And there were a number of those who missed out on what God was doing, whose names have been lost to history. But those who were willing to go, their names were written in Scripture. We read them in Ezra chapter 2. And all who choose to give up a life of exile, a life of worldliness, and choose to pursue Christ, our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. And we are given the joy and the privilege of knowing that we are God and knowing that we are a part of His plan. And so Haggai, Haggai comes to these people who were now living in disobedience. You'll remember, Daniel was praying, the prophecies were being fulfilled, Cyrus had, had made the decree, not only did he say they could go, he gave them the money and the, and the construction materials needed for them to build the temple. They got there, they built the altar and the foundation, but then they stopped. 
and they didn't build the temple. For 18 years, they sat stagnant. So God raised up Haggai to come and preach to them. Now, at this time, it's not as though they were doing nothing. No, if you look in, in, in Haggai chapter 1, verse 2, what they did is they created this new saying, the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. They began to tell themselves wrongly that they really didn't need to accomplish God's purpose. More than that, they began to steal from God. So you look in, in Haggai chapter 1, verse 4, it says that, that they used the resources to build panel houses for themselves while the house of the temple lies in, lies in ruin. What they did was they took what belonged to God, they stole it, and instead of building the temple, they built their own house for the construction materials that Cyrus had given. Last week we talked about the fact that many do the same thing. Rather than giving to God what is rightfully His in the tithe, many are spending God's money on, on things for themselves rather than being a part of the kingdom purpose. And we talked about how it is it's vital that we be smart about our resources. If we look at our text today, what we will see is God is saying that we need to be smart with our faith. We need to be smart with what we believe and what it is we're doing with the faith that God has given us. If you got your Bible, and again, I hope that you do. Let's look at verse 12. Connor Ferris is going to come and read for us our text for today. So let's all stand together in honor of God's Word. And uh, Connor is going to read for us, bravely, mind you, verses 12 through 15. And you'll see why I say bravely in just a moment. Connor, if you would read that, my friend. Then Jerubbabel, the son of Jehoiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God, and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God has said. And the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Jerubbabel, the son of Shelpiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the month, and the sixth month, and the second year of Darius the king. The word of God with those complicated names. Well done, Connor. Well done, my friend. So, God promised that he would bless the people, but the blessing was contingent upon their faith. Haggai shows up, and he says something twice. I don't think just because uh, something is repeated over that it's more important than anything else in the Word of God, but I do believe that God often uses repetition to get our attention, to let us know that there's something here that we need to, to really be mindful of. And so when you look in Haggai chapter 1, verses 5 and 7, look at that if you would. We're told to consider something here. He says it twice. He says consider. Can you say what it says there? It says, consider what? Your waste. Says it again in verse 7. Consider your ways. The best way to understand the faith that you are exhibiting is to simply look at the life you're living. Your life will always tell you what you have faith in. Because your faith will always drive your life. What you believe in the heart of, uh, of, of hearts is what you will do. You will live out what you believe. Whatever you have faith in, that will, that will be reflected in your behavior. So here, Haggai, on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, tells the people, look at your life. 
And so today, let's do the same. In light of the Word of God, in light of what we see in this text, let's, let's look at our lives. Here Haggai comes and says, look what God has done. He's called you from exile into His plan. He's given you the resources. He's given you everything you need. Friends, don't miss the gospel in this. Here God had called a people out of exile into His plan to prepare the world for the first coming of Jesus. He's doing the same thing with us now. He is calling the people out of exile to believe in Him and to join Him, but not for the first coming, but to prepare the world for the second coming. God was building a temple then. God is building a temple now. This is the Gospel, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. This is the Gospel. God is calling us out of exile into life with Him. This has come at a great price. To take us from death to life, from sin to righteousness, required the death of God. Jesus Christ had to become flesh to save us from our sin, to save us from a life separated from God. We have been bought with a price. So friends, now that we have been bought, we now belong to God. And so he says to us, so glorify God in your body. How do you do that? Only by faith. We can only glorify God by living by faith. God is stirring us to live by faith. In our text today, we see God stirring His people to live by faith. And let me just say this. Each one of these points should be an entire sermon. I know that. And what I so wish, I wish that there's one thing I could just snap my fingers and it would just happen at Living Hope, it would be this. That every one of our members would, would, would gather with their neighbors that are, that are also members. That, and they would every single week get together and not just discuss what was said in the sermon, but discuss what wasn't said. There is so much in this word. And I so wish every week that our people were getting together and taking in the Word and nurturing one another. I wish that people were together, connected, because you would run into each other more often. You wouldn't have to just plan every time you got together. you just see each other, and you could nurture each other. And then you could advance the kingdom because you would know who wasn't a believer around you. You could invite them in to be a part of it. I know it's a crazy pipe dream, but a pastor can dream, can he? Right? But just know that there's a lot here. A lot needs to be said. But... Let's look at what, what we can see, and then let's be ready to, to be convicted by it. Understand that God is stirring us to have a faith that, first of all, obeys Him. A faith that obeys Him. It says there in verse 12 of the people, they obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. Please understand, God did not save these exiles so that they could come back and do their own thing. God saved these exiles from exile to bring them to this place where He was at work so that they could do God's thing. God did not save you so that you could get Him to do your thing. God saved you to get you to join Him in His thing. I have a, a number of friends who are uh, they're in construction. They build houses for people. 
And I told about how complicated that can be, how complicated it is to, to have a, a home, uh, a person wants a home to come and say, you know, I, I want to pay this money, and, and I want this built, and this is how I want it to be. And I told about how hard that is sometimes to understand what they really want, how hard it is to understand, you know, what, what it would cost to really do what they want. I said, what, what would you ideally like to do? They said, oh, I'd just love to go to someone and say, Hey, you pay for it, and here's what you here's what you want. Here's what you're going to get. That reminds me. It makes me think. Boy, isn't that often what we do with God? We say, God, we want you to pay for this new life, but we don't want it to be what you want it to be. We want it to be what we want it to be. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's for you. It's yours. I'm yours, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, 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 Lord. I'm yours. But would you mind paying for it and then just make it what I want it to be, comfortable for me, what I want it to be, not what you want it to be? Listen, if you ever have a builder who comes to you and says, listen, I want to build the house that I want you to have for you, get another builder. At the same time, don't do that with God. Don't go to God and say, here, I know you paid for me with a price. Let me tell you what you're going to get out of this. No. He's bought us with a price. And He's purchased us. We are His. We are His temple that He is building. And He intends for us to obey Him and to be what He died for us to be. That only happens as we live by faith and obey God is stirring us to obedience. And, and to do that well, you got to understand and you got to have a sense of awe of God. Uh, another word for that would be fear. Understand, God stirs us to have a, a faith that fears Him. It says that the people began to obey, but then look at the last part of verse 12. It says, and the people feared the Lord. Friends, can I tell you that God is not nearly as small as most of us make Him out to be? He is much bigger and he's much badder than a lot of us want to admit. Most of us, me included, want to save God. Our God is anything but safe. He's not afraid of the gates of hell. He's already stormed. He's not afraid of death. He's already defeated. There's nothing that God is afraid of. I had a pastor used to say this all the time. I love it. God is bigger than we've heard and better than we've hoped. He really is. There's nothing like our God. But at the same time, that's terrifying. Because the God of the Bible cannot be manipulated. He cannot be controlled. And you cannot hide anything from Him. He knows who we are better than we do. And He's going to judge us. What a terrifying thought. But here's the good news. He loves us. And He wants the best for us. He wants us to live for what is best. And even though it's frightening to live by faith in God and to trust His plan and to trust His will, there's nothing better that any of us can do than to simply do that, to walk into the immensity of, of God and who He is and to live under His authority even though we can't control Him. I got a professor in college. When I was in college, computers had just come out. Young people, believe it or not, there was a day when people didn't have computers in their homes. 
they were only in big buildings and libraries. And so when I was in college, it was beginning to catch on. And uh, the university I was at, the professors were all given computers, but one of our professors wouldn't use his computer. He stayed on his typewriter. And we would nestle, we're like, dude, give me your computer. You're going to just waste it. He said, we said, why aren't you using your computer? He said, that thing scares me. What are you talking about? He said, I'm telling you, that thing, those computers, they're going to get out of control. He said, there's going to come a time when there's no telling what you'll be able to access. There's no telling. He said, you won't be able to control that computer. It's going to be so vast. He said, so I'm going to stick to my little typewriter where I can control it. I wonder how many of us sitting here today are living a typewriter life with a computer like God. Instead of saying, yes, there's no limit to God. Yes, He's going to invite us into a world that, that we can't fully comprehend or understand. Yes, there's going to be scary parts. Yes, it's going, to, it's, going to, it's going to oppress us. Yes, it's going to move us. Yes, it's going to go beyond what we can even imagine. And there's some who say, you know what, I just don't want that. It's just too scary. The fear of God is not meant to drive us away. It's meant to invite us in. The greatness and the majesty and the bigness of God is meant to make us go, whoa, I can't control this God, but He loves me, and so I will trust Him. And even though I don't know what's going to happen when I do, even though I don't know what demands He's going to make of me, I don't know what He's going to make happen, yet I will trust Him. And I realize that creates fear, but we are to fear the Lord fear His greatness and allow it to drive us to, to want Him all the more and to engage with Him all the more. So to obey Him, we have to fear Him. And when we obey Him and, and when we, we fear Him, it will be because we have heard Him. Uh, write this down. Understand, God is stirring us. God stirs us to have a faith that hears Him. It says here that Haggai, the message of the Lord, spoke. Now, when you look at verses 1 and 3 and 7, what you see happening over and over, what, being said over, what is being said over and over is that Haggai, the prophet of the Lord, he spoke on behalf of the Lord. How was it that Haggai was able to speak on behalf of the Lord except that he had heard from the Lord? Haggai was able to speak authoritatively in the name of God because he'd been with God. You know, one of the most important kind of conversation we have, maybe the most important talk that we will ever give, and that we do give all the time, is the self-talk. You know, we, we talk to ourselves all the time. And for those of you who do it out loud, stop. I was on an airplane, this guy behind me, I could just hear the voice, he's like, we're going to be okay, we're going to make it, it's going to be good. And I hear this little girl say, Daddy, I know. And he says, oh, sweetheart, I'm talking to myself again. I'm sorry. I just want to turn around and grab it. It's like, dude, you're freaking everybody out. It's okay to self-talk. Everyone does. Everyone talks to themselves. Don't do it out loud. It's just weird, okay? But do understand that you're, you're telling yourself things. The question is, what are you telling yourself? What, what do you say? I was talking to a, a couple after the first service, 
and they were telling me about a situation I already knew about. It was a situation where a husband and wife have gotten separated, and they're now falling into alcohol use, and it, it, it just looks like this whole thing is just going to explode. I think about these people, and they're smart. They're smart people. The problem is, here's what I know. They've been telling themselves lies. They've been telling themselves, oh, I'll be happier without him. I'll be happier without her. I'll be happier high than having to deal with the reality of this right now. I'll be happier if I don't worry about what's going to happen to the kids and I just worry about myself. Those are lies that they're telling themselves. And guys, here's the thing. If we're not going to listen to the Word of God, we're going to lie to ourselves. We're gonna, if we're not allowing the Word of God to speak to us, if that's not what we're using to speak to ourselves, then we are telling ourselves lies. It's going to destroy us. It's going to destroy us. Recently, I talked to a mother who was dealing with difficult loss, difficult pain, and struggling through it. And I said, how are you doing? And it's always a dangerous thing to ask a woman, how are you doing? You ask a guy completely say, fine. Hey, I noticed you have a knife sticking out of your leg. Fine, no big deal. They'll just tell you they're fine. You ask a woman, how are you doing? She might tell you. What she said about putting me to my knees. She said, if I believe what I would usually tell myself, I die. But she said, when I, when I tell myself what the Word of God says, I'm okay. So she says, when I... When I read the promises of God and I tell myself these truths, I'm okay. But when I listen to myself, she says, I think, oh no, this is going to happen. It's all going to fall apart. It's not going to work. It's going to be terrible. Everything's going to be lost. It's, it's all going to crumble. It's, it's all, oh, she says, I die a million deaths. With every lie, it's like I die all over again. I read the Word of God, and the Word of God tells me what is true. And the Word of God tells me that He will never leave me or forsake me. And He tells me that, that He will see me through the storm. And He says that, that He has a plan for my pain. When we hold to those promises, there's peace. If God calls us, He stirs us to have faith to hear Him. But here's what I know. If you don't have a daily time when you're reading the Word of God, I don't mean just reading it so you can check off that you read it, but really reading the Word of God and allowing that to be the conversation that drives your thinking. When that happens, goodness, there's a blessing. So what's your reading plan? Please tell me you've got a reading plan. Please tell me you are every day in the Word of God. Please tell me you're not counting on your feelings and your thoughts to, to tell you what is true. Because if you are, you are deceived. You are deceived and you're going to deceive yourself even worse and you're going to hurt yourself and you're going to hurt other people. Please stop. Please daily open the Word of God. 
read the Word of God. Hear the Word of God and tell yourself the Word of God. God is stirring us to hear Him. It will, it will cause us to fear Him. It will cause us to obey Him. And, and last, and, and write this down, God stirs us to have a faith that joins Him. We will join Him in what He's doing. Look what it says in verse 14. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord. They joined God in what He was doing. What was He doing? He was creating a means to announce to the world that, that Jesus was coming. What is He doing now? The same thing. He's, he's building a temple of people who are announcing to the world, Jesus is coming. How is he doing this? This is important. How is he doing this? Let me, let me quickly tell you three ways. First one is this. He's doing that by conforming each one of us into the image of his son, Jesus. God is at work to conform us into the image of Jesus. Let me ask you a question. Are you helping and joining Him in that? Or are you messing it up and ignoring that responsibility? God is at work. Are you joining Him? Are you seeking to live a life that is being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ? Or are you fighting against it by making excuses? By, by being busy in sin and, and, and turning away from the Lord. God is at work in the world. And one of the ways He's at work in the world to announce the coming of Jesus Christ is by conforming His people into the image of His Son. The second way is He is seeking and saving the lost. Are you joining Him in that? Are you praying for lost people? Are you living hopeful? Are you being helpful? Are you leading more people to anchor their life in hope in Jesus? Or... Are you ignoring it? You know, first service was told by a teacher who last week asked her class, said, um, what'd you do for Christmas? The little girl said, we celebrated Jesus' birthday. During recess, she saw this boy who was sort of a bully go over to the little girl. She asked her later, what did he say to you? And she said, oh, he wanted to know what I meant by we celebrated Jesus' birthday. She said, well, what'd you tell him? She said, well, I explained that Jesus was God and that he was born to Mary and that he came to save us from our sin. She said, oh, well, that's good. She said, yeah, except he wanted to know what sin. So she said, what'd you do? She said, well, I explained what sin is. It's when we do anything that dishonors God that's not according to God's will. But Jesus has come to die for sin so that we can have that life. So well, what did the bully say? He said, I don't know. He just he looked kind of sad and he walked away. It's a second grader in Bowling Green, Kentucky. And we think that we think that everybody knows about Jesus, that everybody friends, we live in a biblically illiterate society. And there are neighbors, there are smart people all around us that don't know the first thing about the gospel. You know, probably the only way they're going to hear it is from your lips. Because they're not going to come listen to me. I'm, I, I scare people. I don't know why. My little bald head shows up and everybody's like, oh, bless you, bless you, preacher. Living hopes in the house. Sipping. I feel it. Makes me feel weird, so stop. It's a guy. 
but it's, it's amazing, friends, that the way your friends and your family are going to hear about Jesus is coming through you. And guess what? God is seeking to save the lost. Are you joining him? Third way is by building local churches filled with people who love each other. You know, churches are such a mess. I talked to a lot of people today. I talked to a couple today, and they said, well, we were going over here in the church, but we're starting to come to Living Hope. And I said, really? Well, what's going on? They said, well, you know how churches can be. And I said, yeah, you probably need to go back and be a part of the solution. You know, friends, the world looks at the church, and you know what they're really hoping is that we really will love each other the way God loves us. You know what the world really needs? Even if they don't believe, they need to know that there's really a place where people come together and love each other with a love that is filled with grace and truth. And you know, that's what God wants us to be. Do you know what won't make that happen? Is that people say, yeah, I go to, I go to Living Hope. I go to Living Hope. You do. And, I mean, when I go, you know, if I need something, because consumeristic Christianity is not going to get it done. Going to church like you go to Walmart, this doesn't work. I just go when I need something. Not church. Not God's plan. God's plan is messy. God's plan is that we're here when we don't necessarily want to be. And we love people that are messy and weird and sometimes hard to love just like every person in this room. That's church. You know what God's doing? He's taking messy, sinful people, he's turning them into saints and filling them with his love so that we can love one another. Let me ask you, are you a part of that? Are you joining God in what he's doing? Listen, if you're not, you're missing it. You're you're living a typewriter life in a computer-driven world. You're missing out on opportunities and things that you cannot see until you choose to live by faith. And here's what I invite you to do today. Come live by faith. Come get on your knees. Say, God, I'm going to give you my life. Not part of it, not a few hours. I'm going to give you my life. You're going to drive my thinking. I'm going to obey you no matter what you tell me to do. I'm going to be afraid. I'm going to fear you because you are a mighty God. But I'm going to love you. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to join you in what you're doing in the world. You're the potter. I'm the clay. I'm in your hands. Do what you want. I, I, I dare you and I invite you to come and give your life to Jesus today. Come get on your knees and say, God, here I am. Let's stand together to pray. Lord, you, you're calling us to a life of faith. It's not easy. It's not comfortable. It's not meant to be. It's a life filled with challenges, but oh, so many opportunities and blessings beyond what we could ever imagine because you, God, you are bigger than we've heard and you're better than we hope. And you, God, are beyond our control. You bought us at a price and you want to make us into something significant. You want to make us into something we've always wanted to be. So, Lord God, give us the faith now to sing these words as a confession. But for some who, who desire to come and just get on their knees to say, God, here I am. Here's my life. I give it to you. God bless those who do. In Jesus' name, amen.